Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website, workerbeing.com, or on social media, or you can join and support our community at workerbeing.com slash community. There's a lot of fun stuff going on this year, so go check it out. So today, we are going to be talking about a newish HR policy that many organizations are instituting, which is um, egg freezing policies. And so you may have heard of these in workplaces or perhaps your workplace has this policy. We're going to be talking about some of the pros and cons of those policies and how your organization might handle them effectively. But before we jump into that, and I'm not going to ask you a question about whether or not you're going to freeze your eggs, <laughs> but I'm wondering... Um, what is the, because we're going to be talking a lot about um, work family policies and how people perceive them in addition to how they perceive this particular policy for a comparison. What is the best work family policy that you think you've encountered in a workplace that you've been in? Ooh, that is such a good question. I think I have two. So that's like totally not answering the one, but I'm going to, I'm going to go give you two. Um, And I'll explain the reasons. So the first one I think is strong parental leaves. So, you know, when you see companies that like actually have like good parental leaves and include paternity, you know, paternal leave, I guess. um, I think those ones are really strong because it gives, you know, obviously the father an opportunity to take time off without just using PTO. Um, and actually being able to spend time with the, his new family. Um, but also like just having sufficient time with maternity leave, having pay associated with it, especially when companies will do a hundred percent pay for a certain amount of time. Um, that's, we know that's not like a requirement across the country, right? In the U S like we have some States that have laws about it, but not every state does. Um, so I think that's huge. Because that's just, I mean, we're so behind compared to like yeah. so much of the world. Um, and it's really hard to think about having a child and then like not actually have time to be with that child. And mm-hmm. then you have to go straight to like some sort of daycare or something. And that's like so expensive. So like having a little bit of time as a family, as a new family to like settle in, I think is huge. So that's number one. Number two, I would say unlimited PTO that you actually are able to use. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that one is because it allows for a lot of flexibility with parents. I mean, obviously not just parents, but we're talking about specifically around work family. um, It gives you flexibility to take time if like a kid is sick or a parent is sick or somebody else is, you know, something's going on in your family life that you can just take some PTO when Maybe you normally wouldn't because you have a limited amount of time and you need it for like a vacation or like a holiday or whatever. Um, So I think having unlimited PTO that people are actually encouraged to use um, can really help you with some of that flexibility on days when something unexpected happens with your family. I think those are both awesome examples. And I know that you've worked in a context before where there was unlimited PTO and you really felt like you could actually use it if you wanted to. So I think that's a great call out. Um, the one that I was going to talk about was also to do with parental leave. And even though I've never used this policy before, 
I see how much it benefits my colleagues. And that is that in an academic setting, we go on a semester. And so the 12 weeks like required leave doesn't coincide with the leave for a semester. Mm. So they would do this weird stuff. And a lot of universities still do this where it's like you teach for like the first five weeks of a semester and then you're out for the like next 12 or like you start oh, a semester. Yeah. Or you like start a semester um, and then end a little bit early, but like it's not timed according to the semester. So it didn't make sense because you're teaching like part of a class and then not the other part or like almost all of a class, but not another piece of it because you want to be able to like span into the next semester in a way that makes sense. And so like it was causing these bizarre um, patterns where people were getting evaluated for their classes based on their oh. teaching and then like a little bit of someone else's and you're like out on leave for part of it. And so it can mess up your like teaching evals cause you're not there for the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, and then also it was causing problems because if people like went into labor early, then they don't really have a plan for what's going to happen for the class. And they're like in the midst. So U of A has this mess. policy. I know um, U of A has this policy, but so do other places where they just do the full semester. So like whatever semester you want to be out, you're just out for the semester and that's the policy leave is like by semester instead of going with what like the government norm is, which doesn't work for the semester calendar system. So I feel like that was just like a common sense thing to do, but it actually makes a big difference because I know it's just a huge stressor for people who are out on leave that their work is like not aligning week wise with the weeks they get and it creates all these other problems. What happens, <laughs> so I'm going to poke a hole in it. What happens if you have your baby like three weeks at the at the, the last three weeks of a semester? Like really you would need the next semester off too though. Yeah, I think it is a little tricky if you're in the fall because mm -hmm. in that instance, people might choose to like do something with their fall class where they like might not switch it over to a different person, but like, okay, we'll meet remotely or we'll like, do you know like they try to make it so the class like is pretty much done before three weeks and they have like guest speakers for the last three weeks or something you know what I mean they'll try to like switch it up but the bad thing about this system is that like people kind of try to plan a little bit more so like the ideal would be that like you would run into the summer or you know what I mean um right. but it's it's uh it is a little bit challenging but at least it's not like before it was just like chaotic because there were so many situations where you would run into you're in the midst of something and then you have to stop um, and you weren't able to like make it work week wise. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so that would be what I would pick um, because I think it's just useful for people to have their work and their life align in a way that actually goes along with the cadence of the type of work that they do. Uh, yeah. But for this particular article, I have three takeaways that I want um, to break down for you. Um, okay. And they're kind of in varied, they're kind of in order from like maybe most shocking to like more encouraging. So the first, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the first is that egg freezing policies, and I want to be careful when I break this down that I'm not saying that the policies are bad, but egg freezing policies are viewed more negatively than any other work family policy, which they tested a bunch of them in this study, and it was across a bunch of different studies, including no policy at all, 
Oh. And this is even true among women who um, do want more children or say they may want more children um, in the future. So um, not super positive views. We'll talk about that. Um, the second takeaway is sort of why that's the case. So employees view egg freezing policies as sending mixed signals. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about the mixed signals that they send. And then the last is that um, really more of a path forward. Organizations shouldn't get rid of egg freezing policies, but they should be very careful about how they message those egg freezing policies. So those are the three takeaways. That's awesome. It makes a lot of sense. I can feel what the conflict might be. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to hear you break it down. Yeah. Yeah. So just to kind of kick things off, in this article, they looked across, and I won't be getting into um, all of the details of the studies because they actually have um, six different studies um, in this one paper. Um, but what they found across all of these different studies was that people viewed egg freezing compared to a variety of other policies um, that are relevant to people's work and life, um, like IVF, adoption services, paid parental leave, on-site childcare, backup childcare, childcare subsidies, return to work programs, comprehensive women's healthcare coverage. Um, They compared them all to egg freezing. And what they found was that compared to all these policies across samples, um, and no matter who was included in the sample, um, women, men, women who want children, women who don't want children, et cetera, the egg freezing policies were viewed the most negatively. Um, And so I think that while uh, the article states that about a fifth of organizations have instituted these policies, and it's very possible that they're instituting these policies with very positive intention around how people might use those policies. There are some unintended consequences that people may be having a more negative reaction to these than they are to other policies. And that's pretty much true across the board. So it's important to recognize that um, if you're putting these policies in place, first and foremost, a takeaway for you is that like, you're going to want to take a pause and think about what the implications of those policies might be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Like all the other policies you described are basically encouraging or providing support if you want to start a family. Yes. This is like we're providing support if you want to start a family later, not today. And yes. so I'm going to guess that one of the things you'll talk about is that that kind of sends this message of, well, we want to support you and your family, but we want you to work right now more. Like, work now, Mm -hmm. deal with it later. Um, Exactly. And so, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that people be more negative about that. So I I feel like the messaging is important. I feel like, you know, it's fair that some people want to wait and, you know, that's their choice and they can do whatever they want. And it's nice to have that support. Like, I think that would be really cool. Like, if I just think about someone that's maybe in their, like, early 30s or late 20s and they don't aren't thinking about it at all but they want to have a biological child at some point it could be nice to have um Mm -hmm. but it's a lot of first of all it is a lot of work to do that (laughs) yeah so it's you know you're now asking someone to like you're giving people this option that 
seems nice, but at the same time, it's like now a lot of effort to, to go through an egg freezing process um, where maybe if we were just a little bit nicer about our policies in general, they would have thought about doing it earlier anyways. Yeah, exactly. And you're, you're right on track because people are, and this sort of gets into takeaway two, um, people are appreciative of some of the benefits that are associated with these policies because um, egg freezing is really, really expensive. Um, it can cost tens of thousands of dollars to do this. And so um, when they stepped back and said, okay, we've found that people are rating these more negatively. Now we want to understand why. There were sort of three factors with one that was particularly strong impacting why people were having these um, more negative reactions. But something to sort of know is that it wasn't just a purely negative reaction. It was that in other instances, people are likely seeing only benefits, but in this, people are seeing benefits along with drawbacks, and they're seeing two different drawbacks and sort of one set of benefits, so it's sort of outweighing a little bit some of what people are seeing as the positive with some of the more negative things. So one of the things um, that really aligns with what you were talking about is that um, employees seem to view these policies as signaling that the employer prefers for them to make a sacrifice of their personal life and um, really thinking about uh, putting pressure on employees to delay starting a family via these policies. So some of the things that people endorsed um, in alignment with these policies and what they signal is that the employer wants the employees to sacrifice their personal lives, that people felt more anxiety in the presence of these policies about if they did have children already or if they wanted to have children, that that would be negatively viewed in terms of their career progression. Um, mm -hmm. And that the organization is sort of sending an implicit signal that having children is a career risk and that um, delaying having children would be a career advantage. So um, people were more likely to endorse those kinds of items around egg freezing than they were around other policies. And that was a, a part of what explained whether or not they were in favor of those policies or not. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously, that's kind of what I was talking about. So it does make a lot of sense yes. that that would signal this kind of feeling of, um, yeah, like having kids is not a good thing in this workplace. So we're giving you this financial benefit so that you don't have to do it right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so it's sort of viewed as sort of this like ulterior motive that organizations have. Like, yeah, this sounds nice, but what I'm picking up on is that maybe what you're trying to do is give me this money so that you can make even more money off me continuing to fit with what they're calling this like ideal worker norm, which is mm -hmm. a worker who can dedicate all hours of their life to work if need be, and nothing interferes with that. And in organizations that really um, strictly adhere to this ideal worker norm, work-life balance is a lot lower and people's consideration for personal or family life is a lot lower. And people are seeing policies like this in, in alignment with that. There's also um, a concern, an additional negative concern that was more weekly related to policy um, opinions or feelings about these policies, but it's also about the cost to organizations. So um, 
people were also concerned that this is taking up um, too much too many financial resources. Like this is a particularly expensive oh. benefit. Um, that it and not just that that it's a cost from a monetary perspective, but that it's a cost of organizational like time in getting involved in the personal lives of employees and like being involved in something that companies shouldn't feel the need to be responsible for. So that's more of like an attitudinal um, around like the the sort of politics of the organization getting involved in what people see as like a more invasive, I guess, policy. That was more weekly related, more weekly related to their preferences about the policy, but did explain some portion of the negative perception, not as much as the personal life sacrifice, but a little bit. Interesting. I wonder if that came up with like IVF and stuff too, because those are really expensive policies. And I know some organizations even like help pay for surrogacy. Yeah. And so in this particular set of studies, um, they found that um, these concerns existed for other um, sorts of policies, but they existed much more prevalently for egg freezing. But to your point, the next highest in terms of ratings of cost to organizations was IVF, um, but it was less so than egg freezing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah. Fascinating. That's super fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then the positive part though, and the part that I'm going to want to focus on for like sort of figuring out what to do or how to move forward in the third takeaway is that people do see some benefits associated with these policies. So people viewed these policies as giving employees flexibility in the timing of their personal life decisions um, they thought that these policies give employees a sense of control over meeting their own goals, both in their personal and professional lives, um, that they felt they had more choice in how to structure their personal lives, that they had access to this policy, and that they felt supported in their personal lives by the company. So um, the strongest predictor of attitudes was this personal life sacrifice, and that's why it took a more negative twinge. But these benefits to employees also were predictive in the positive direction of whether or not people supported the policies. So there's sort of these like ambivalent feelings about the policies that like, on one hand, I appreciate the flexibility and having this option because it gives me some control. Um, and it makes me feel like I have a little bit more choice that if I want to delay something, I have the financial capability to do so differently than I might otherwise. Um, but I also have these concerns that there's this ulterior motive, maybe I'm putting this off because my organization wants me to or expects me to, but not because I actually I actually would have wanted to under other circumstances. And I'm not sure that like I want the organization involved in these like more in-depth decisions that I'm making about me and my eggs. Yeah. I think I think that a way around it, and I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on this. But it feels like because the other ones are more positive, right? Like all the things that are supporting you having a child are seen more positively. And this is the only one that is the only one that's actually not supporting you currently having a child. Um, I wonder if like you're able to make the organization very supportive of families in general and mm -hmm. supportive of children and, you know, work-life balance and all of this stuff that then it would feel less negative, right? If it's... But if it feels like it's just an added benefit and it's making those mixed signals because your stance on, 
you know, work-life balance and what the quote ideal employee is, is vague or unclear, then people are going to make these assumptions. Yeah. And you're exactly right. So moving through into point three, because that's kind of uh, like dead on with what they suggested as well. These work family policies that encourage increased focus on family, like paid parental leave or flex time or IVF or on-site childcare do promote more positive attitudes at work. And there are some really positive perceptions associated with egg freezing policies as well, but they're sort of tempered with this negative um, perception at the same time. So the recommendation is that organizations shouldn't look at this and say, we're just going to get rid of egg freezing policies entirely. There are lots of people who can use and benefit from having the option to be able to freeze their eggs if that's what they want for their personal and professional lives. And there are some medical reasons why people um, freeze eggs. So if you're going through, for example, um, chemotherapy, um, that can impact your fertility. So often before women who um, want to have children or have more children go through a treatment like that, they'll want to freeze their eggs to have more viability for pregnancy later on. So there are lots of different complications and situations when people would want to have access to this policy. But this really should be complemented with a work family culture that clearly values entire families, including children, and work-life balance. So it should be clear when these policies are offered that they're part of a suite of policies that are all positioned as being helpful for individuals who want to make the best possible choices that they can for their work and life and to do that in a way that fits together harmoniously for them. So um, there were some examples in the paper about companies that sort of position these policies actively as being ways for people to delay having kids so that they can maintain or increase productivity at work. That's not a positive Oof. way to be talking about these policies. <laughs> um, and so in this instance, it's discussed as part of a set of policies that people may or may not find useful for having the work and family life that they want to have, but not positioned differently than other policies as a way to potentially continue working um, in what the organization believes might be like longer, harder hours. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, <laughs> if you're saying do this so that you can work harder, oh, man. Like, yeah. I have a feeling those policies did not go over well. Um, but I think the suite of benefits is really the best way to position it. Like, we want you to have all these different resources available depending on what your individual needs are. And because people have such different individual needs, there's a full suite of things yeah. that we can provide. Um yeah, I think that's important. And honestly, this is like less important, but I'm going to say it anyways. Like there are some organizations that do things like pet insurance and pet leaves and like yeah. things that are not related to, you know, human babies um, that <laughs> some organizations do because that's how some other people's families are expanding over time. Right. Um, right. Or, you know, like any kind of family policy, it would be really nice to see them kind of bundle them all together and then you have like an even more complete like complete story of that because I think if you just do um, egg freezing and then like all these other like like supportive policies for parents or soon to be parents, those are great, but it 
it still makes egg freezing kind of stand out as being a little different. If you put in a bunch of policies and package it all together, like these are your work family policies that we've provided. And maybe it's things like elder care stuff, um, right? you know, other things that people care about with their family, then you can really make it seem like a truly holistic package of benefits for whatever your work family is or your family life is. And whatever that work family balance looks like for you. So then it, that, then it almost feels even less, um, you know, invasive or like aggressively anti having children right now while you work for us. Yeah. And I think, um, those are all awesome points about the way that HR or organizational leaders can position these formally. And the article got into um, some of those as well. But another thing is also informally, like, I um, have a friend who is in a situation where all of the successful senior women in her workplace had all um, frozen their eggs as a way to like continue like climbing the ladder in their organization. And it was sort of a pressure in the organization that she would do the same. Like they were like, we all froze our eggs to get to where we are. And so like, that's what we suggest you do too. And that, and then it makes it like, Yikes. Yeah. And so I think also informally, um, when people are having conversations about, you know, what they did for their work and family, just because a policy is available to you and you viewed it as useful for you and your life to do that, like recommending that other people use it with that intentionality may have a negative impact on them, but also on their perceptions of the, the workplace overall. Yeah, that's a really, really good point that those informal conversations can have a big impact. And if you're in a person, if you're a person in leadership, um, then (laughs) that would be like extra critical for you, right? Like you have to, like we talk a lot about like role modeling and things like that. And if you're not taking care of your family needs and your work-life balance as a leader, then other people that report to you or see how you're doing and what you're not doing are going to do the same thing. I think the same applies here. Like you can use the egg freezing benefit. Um, but I think if you start talking about how that's how, what helped you move up the ladder or if you kind of pose it in that way, then that's not great. And it's going to continue sending a message to folks um, that report to you that this is the only way, you know, as a woman to get to where you need to be. But mm-hmm. if you use the benefit and then other people use different family leave benefits or if you use the benefit and you don't like just randomly run around yelling about the fact that you did that, um, it's probably a better way to go to just let people do what they're going to do and, you know, what they need to do for their families and not um, accidentally pressure them without even realizing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that those are all really good um, things to highlight just to keep in mind because sometimes people don't realize that their own choices are sending a signal to other people, even when they're communicating what they did, that it can be pressureful, especially if it's someone in a leadership role. Um, the, the last thing that they mentioned is sort of in alignment with what you were just saying as well, that informally, um, one of the strongest time periods when people are, um, tuned in to those kinds of, um, comments or pressures is during the recruitment process. And so one of the things that was suggested here was that um, organizations wait to talk about these policies um, in a lot of depth until people are in the company and they can really feel that the culture is supportive of work and family because um, 
it may be the case that in a recruitment setting, as people are looking around and trying to figure out, you know, what's the work life, what is work life here? And they don't have these other more rich signals from the context about what it would be like to work there. That if you really push like this idea that like we have this great policy and you can freeze your eggs and like that it might send a signal to employees ahead of time in the recruitment process that might not actually be aligned with your culture, but because they don't have other indicators of um, how the, the policy is positioned, that you might want to mention it, but not go into like super depth about it until a person's able to really view it in context of the rest of the culture of the organization. I think that's a really good point because you don't have that context and it could be something that scares people right. away even if your intent is positive. And so maybe that's kind of going back to what I said earlier about having this really robust work family um, policy bucket of all these different things that include things outside of parenthood. Um, I think then people might see, actually see it as just like one of the many things that you can do. Um, And that might be a nicer way to kind of position it from a recruitment perspective where you're not necessarily calling out like that specific benefit, but here's our pool of benefits for work family. And then people would see that in the list, it's less of a, there's probably less of a reaction than, you know, having someone actually call it out and say, Hey, we do this. It's like, well, why do you do this? (laughs) Right. Yeah, totally. I think I think that's a really good point and aligns well with the article. And I think, you know, overall, um, just to reiterate, we're not saying that you shouldn't have these policies, but be aware that these policies can elicit mixed reactions from people because there are some concerns about whether or not it's a signal that you want people to sacrifice their personal life and that you might be getting like very involved in personal affairs in order to do so. And so, um, you know, just representing this as a positive work family benefit among the suite of all the other benefits that you have and really making sure that employees know that the ultimate aim of all of these policies together is to make sure that people's work and life can fit together in a way that they find um, balanced and that they would see as successful for them um, is really the end goal, not to get rid of the policy entirely, but think about how it's positioned. I love it. I think it's a really important topic and probably something that not everyone thinks through. So I'm glad we covered it today. I'm glad we have some re- actual research behind it. Cause I think instinctively there's, you know, obviously I had some ideas and I'm glad that there's like actual data to support those ideas yes. versus me just having an opinion, um, that may not be, meaningful. So I am very happy that you shared this with us. It's really interesting. Thank you. Thank you for listening to it. Yeah. And thanks to all of our listeners. Um, if you ever have any questions, you can always reach out to us at contact at workerbeing.com. And as you mentioned earlier, you can find more of our resources and information on workerbeing.com on our social media and also um, more about our community at workerbeing.com slash community. Thanks for listening. Thriving at Work is hosted by us, Dr. Patricia Grabarek and Dr. Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Music